So, Alan, at the uh, time of this recording, it's March Madness. I haven't been following that, Rob. No? You don't have a bracket? Mm, I do have a bracket for mundane madness. <laughs> I saw that. Yeah, Look, who you all, got? All office supplies. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm going for the binder clip. I think oh. it's got real potential. Binder clip's a strong choice, but you know it's bold. It, it, it's bold. It's it's definitely in the topper top echelon of uh, competitors. I, I like a. I was kind of. I'd like to root for the underdog, so I was going for the Manila folder. Oh really? Yeah, I, but it's it's a sixteen seed, so there's there's just no way. So kind of went met in the middle and, and went with paperclip. Problem with the Manila folder. Yeah. Is that after the iPad Air uh, declared in its sophomore year for the the pros, it just it lost all its momentum. Can't stay mundane forever, Alan. The iPod Air has got to declare and and move on up. Mm, I don't know. I I think I really prefer the mundane fundamentals. <laughs> it's less showy than the big office supply leagues. It's more about the game. It's time, time for a thrilling story of romance, adventure, mystery, anything with an expired copyright. It's time for another Interrupted Tale. Hello and welcome to the show that usually ends, another episode of Interrupted Tales the podcast where my friend and I take turns reading stories to you, the listener, while the other person constantly interrupts. As always, I am Rob, and I'm joined tonight by my co-host and secret love, Alan. Alan, how are you? You paused a lot on the you, the listener part. I'm pretty sure they know that they are the listener. (laughs) Are they sure? A lot of people listen to these things at, you know, one and a half speed. Maybe they kind of forget after a while. Mm, could be. Well, Alan, uh, this week, we, we we have a choo-choo of a story. Oh, boy. This is, uh, <laughs> this is a big one. Uh, it's from the book Tales of the Railroad, published in 1899. So uh, this particular story is called The Clean Man and the Dirty Angels. Well, I'm glad to see Bosley's getting his old story there. <laughs> He's the clean man? Well, may not be for long with those dirty angels. <laughs> Finally, the spinoff we've all been waiting for. Um, the story is actually by John A. Hill. Oh, yeah, yeah, John A. Hill. Uh, how much uh, weight did he lose for this story? <laughs> no, 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 Alan, Alan. It's John A. Hill. All right. Tell me about John A. Hill. Well, I actually, um, I had the fact department look into him. Have you been okay. down? Have you been down there lately? <laughs> it's messy down there. Yeah. No. It's it's rough down in the Interrupted Tales archives, and we have a lot of lot of interns. They're they're doing their research and um, they're working away finding fun facts. And this John A. Hill happens to be the Hill from McGraw Hill Publishing Company. Oh. Okay. Yeah, previously to running a publishing empire, he was a railroad engineer. <laughs> well, he knows what of what he speaks. 
Yeah, so this is, this is literally a train story ripped from the headlines of the 1890s. And now, it's time to grab a drink and curl up in your favorite chair while we read you this week's tale. You know, Rob, I don't mean to interrupt you right off the bat, but before you start, I am so excited that we finally got to that huge popularity gold mine, railroad stories, okay? (laughs) Now, I've analyzed 18 seasons of The Big Bang Theory. Okay. And I am convinced that a good 3% of its popularity are... People that just love model train jokes. So we really tapped into the market here. Oh, if if we can increase our listenership 3%, this has all been worth it, Alan. All right, please continue. When I first went firing down in my native district, where Bean is king. And Duke, the dog from the Bush's Baked Beans commercials, rules with an iron paw. There was a man on the road pulling a mixed train by the name of Clark, Lige Clark. Being only a fireman, and a new one at that, I did not come very much in contact with Clark, or any of the other engineers, except in my own, James Dillon. Lige Clark was a character on the road. Everybody knew old Lige. He was liked and respected, but not loved. Like celery. (laughs) But he's also delicious covered in peanut butter. Hmm. That is an interesting fact from the fact department. (laughs) They work hard down there. He was thought puritanical or religious or cranky by some. Yet no one hated him or even had a strong dislike for him. Except, ironically, Jesus. He's just not a fan of this guy. (laughs) His honesty and straightforwardness were proverbial. He was always in charge of the funds of every order he belonged to, as well as of the Sunday school and church. And in charge of handing out numbers for the White Elephant Gift Exchange. If the integrity of that process is not maintained, we as a people descend into anarchy. It is only anarchy, Alan. Yeah, well... Only anarchy. The devil came up with that game the devil he was truthful to a fault but above all just because taint right that's why and also taint left that's why i call my belly button a taint and i don't get why people snicker about that behind my back (laughs) oh lies that was his way of refusing to do a thing and his argument against others doing it after i got to running I saw and knew more of Lige, and I think, perhaps, I was as much of a friend as he ever had. We were never chums. I never went to his house, and he never went to mine. No, we would only meet at a completely neutral point between the two, which was a parking lot of a Jerry's Subs and Pizzas, and I have to tell you, the odor was unpleasant, and there were a very large number of broken CD cases lying everywhere for no good reason. I've spent a lot of time in the parking lots behind the Jerry's Subs and Pizza. I don't mind telling you. 
We were simply roundhouse acquaintances. We used to talk engine a little. Lodge, what do you what do you think about them newfangled carburetors? Don't like them. Seems dishonest not to show how much air you mix it in with the fuel unless you do it out in the open. But we usually talked about children. Lige had four, and always spoke about doing the right thing by them. Yeah, like ensuring they get a fifth grade education before you send them off to shovel coal on an iron horse. <laughs> Lige had a very heavy full beard that came clear up to his eyes, and a mass of wavy hair, all iron gray. His eyes were steel gray and matched his hair, and he had a habit of looking straight at you when he spoke. And Sometimes he spoke about his duck call empire and camo clothing line, but mostly he spoke to the producers about what scripted nonsense they would have his Uncle Cy do this week. <laughs> oh, Uncle Cy. On his engine, he invariably ran with his head out of the side window, rain or shine. <laughs> Straight Marmaduke style. <laughs> and always bareheaded. When he stepped upon the footboard, he put his hat away with his clothes, and there it stayed. He was never known to wear a cap, excepting in the coldest winter. Or occasionally when the sun shone directly in his eyes. What a rebel! <laughs> this guy has got it going on. And what did he He put his hat away with his clothes? Is he doing this whole job naked? <clears throat> he don't call it the Iron Horse. I don't know. I don't know why they call it the Iron Horse, actually. So. <laughs> Once in a oh, while. You know what? Because it's made out of iron, and it pulls stuff like a horse. Now I get it. Wow. wow. So wow. many years in the dark. Nice. Once in a while, when I was firing, I have seen him come in, in winter, with his beard white with frost and ice, and some smoke shovel and wit dubbed him Santa Claus. Oh, nice pull. I guess you reached into that deep well of men with huge white beards associated with winter and snow and just came up with a winner on that one. This guy was a wit. Lige had a way of looking straight ahead and thinking of his work. Even when he was reversing, so inevitably he had a pretty tragic end to his career. And after he got to run an express, would go through a town where other trains were sidetracked for him, looking at the track ahead, and at the trains, but never seeming to care that they were there, never nodding or waving a hand. Once in a while he would blink his eyes. That was all. The wind tossed his mane and hair and made him look for all the world like a lion, who looks at, but appears to care nothing for the crowds around his den. Uh, here lies, uh, some of the other train drivers seem to be noticing that you've got a lot of blood on your mouth and hands and are napping for a good 19 hours out of the day. Some lions do that. Do that. Good. Let them watch. <laughs> Someone noticed the comparison and dubbed him the lion. And the name clung to him. He was spoken of as Old Lige the Lion. Just why he was called old, I don't know. He was little more than 40 then. When the men on the road had any grievances, they always asked Lige to 
go and see the old man. Lige always went to lodge and to meetings of the men, but was never known to speak. Oh, yeah, you can see why they'd want him on their side. Guys, I didn't tell them you demand safety regulations to prevent injuries on the job, but I did take excellent notes about their policy on firing you immediately. (laughs) This is the kind of union action I demand. When the demands were drawn up and presented to him, he always got up and said, The mayor declarations ain't right, and I wouldn't ask any railroad to grant them. Or... Declarations are right. Of course, I'll be glad to take them. And once he said, Them declarations are a manifestation of the power struggle between two corrupt entities, the robber barons who want you to be indentured servants and the union bosses who want to overthrow and ultimately replace them. But nobody liked that. (laughs) When old Lige declared to bear a grievance, it was modified or abandoned and he never took a request to headquarters that was not granted until the strike of 77. Ah, 77, the year of the break room K-cup shortage. (laughs) Blood on the tracks. When the war broke out, Lige was asked to go, and the railroad boys wanted him to be the captain of a company of them, but he declined, saying that slavery was wrong and should be crushed, but that he had a sickly wife, and four small children dependent on his daily toil for bread, and it wouldn't be right to leave him unprovided for. They drafted him later, but he had still said it weren't right for him to go, and paid for a substitute. A substitute? Man, now all those college kids earn $300 in a day signs make a lot more sense. (laughs) That is terrific. But three days later, his father-in-law died up in the country somewhere and left his wife some $3,000. And Lige enlisted the next day, saying, It ain't right for any man to stay that can be spared. Slavery ain't right. It must be stopped. He served as a pirate. Well, uh, I'm thinking you, uh, better be getting a bath of the forecastle now. (laughs) He served as a private until it was stopped. Shortly after the war, Lige was pulling the superintendent over the road when he struck a wagon, killing the driver, who was a farmer, farmer, and hurting his wife. Jeez. The woman afterwards sued the road, and Lige was called as a witness for the company. He surprised everybody by stating that the accident was caused by mismanagement of the road, and explained as follows. I pulled the regular Atlantic Express, and should have been at the crossing where the accident occurred, an hour later than I was. But Mr. Doe, our superintendent, wanted to come over the road with his special car. You know, the one where the seats Flip direction near the end. So if it isn't crowded, you can put your feet up on the other seats. Yeah, it's real nice. And took my engine to pull them. Leaving a freight engine to bring in the express. Okay, okay. Slow down, slow down. Okay. Train A is Uh one hour late. Oh, wait, I need a pencil. So it takes X plus one hours to travel distance D. So the special car must have been... Nope, nope. The trick question, Rob. Cars... Haven't been invented yet. Oh, 
That's how they yep. get you. Mm-hmm. Mr. Doe could have ridden on the regular train or could have had his car put into the train instead of putting the company to the expanse of hauling a special and kept the patrons of the road from slow and poor service. We ran faster than there was any use of, and Mr. Doe went home when he got in, showing that there was no urgent call for his presence at this end of the line. If there had been no extra train on the road, this farmer wouldn't have been killed. Twain't right. And that's the reason why Amtrak finds trains, unless they regularly show up 5 to 20 minutes late. (laughs) The widow got some pretty heavy damages, and the superintendent tried to discharge Lige. But Lige said, Twain't right. And the men on the road, the patrons, and even the president agreed with him. Listen, gentlemen, of of course I wanted to fire him, but just listen. Twain't right. Come on, he's a superstar. It's just like the, I'm the baby, gotta love me. Twain't right. It's gonna be huge. (laughs) Oh, he's got a catchphrase and everything. So the irate super gave the job up for the time being. A couple of weeks after this, I went to that super's office on some business and had to wait in the outer pen until his grace got through with someone else. I didn't know Cardinal Richelieu was involved, but, you know, he's got his hands in everything. That's true. The transom over the door to the Holy of Holies was open, and I heard the well-known voice of Lige the Lion. Now there's another matter, Mr. Doe, that perhaps you'll say is none of my business, but taint right, and I'm going to speak about it. Now... The Lego Batman movie doesn't get nominated for a Best Animated Film Oscar, but Boss Baby does. Now that's a snub, Mr. Doe, plain and simple. This man speaks for all of us, Alan. You're hanging around the yards and standing in the shadows of cars and buildings half the night watching employees. Yeah, we want to be watched all night, otherwise... You know, what's the point of putting on funny skits and doing camp songs? (laughs) You've discharged several yardmen, and I want to tell you that a lot of the roughest of them are laying for you. My advice to you is to go home from the office. They'll hurt you yet. Tain't right for one man to know that another is in danger without warning him. So I've done it. Why, during the war, I told all our plans to the Confederacy. It's just a gentlemanly thing to do. (laughs) It wouldn't be right for them to hurt you. You're not particularly hunting them but me. But you won't catch me. Uh, No, sir. I'm a tactical genius. Old Lion Lies, they call me, because I'm a master of deception. Uh, what? Because I stick my head out the train and my beard blows around. Well, shoot. (laughs) Mr. Doe assured the lion that he could take care of himself. And two nights later got sandbagged and had about half his ribs kicked loose over back of the scale house. What? Kicked loose? (laughs) That's bad. And, okay, let me tell you, the rib fairy, a lot meaner than the tooth fairy. (laughs) Uh, yay, 
I ain't giving you money, okay? But I got two coupons for the Delaware State Fair. Marcy Playground is going to headline. <laughs> I don't take my kids anymore. Fried butter and the Tilt World don't mix. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, what is this? Nine reps? Nah. Nah, buddy. I'm going to need the whole set. You might want to go back to sleep for this one. <laughs> the Rib Fairy. The Rib Fairy. Yeah. Well, I'm sure he'll come back at some point, Rob. I can only hope. I can only hope. When the trouble commenced in 77, old Lige refused to take up a request for increase of pay to headquarters. Said the road could afford to keep us just where we were, which was more than some roads were doing. And, Twain right, to ask for more. Two months later, they cut us 10% and offered to pay half script. Yeah, half script. Um, it's my grimdark future take on a world devastated by the cheer wars. It's called Bring it on again, and, and I don't have an ending yet. <laughs> I, that wasn't like the sixth straight-to-TV uh, sequel, Bring it on again. Because <laughs> it damn well should be. Well, then they stole my idea. I don't know. <laughs> Old Lodge said, Twain't right. And he'd struck before he'd stand it. And in the end, we all struck. A pose. Holding <laughs> signs. That said, we oppose. <laughs> the fourth day after the strike commenced, <sighs> I met Lige. And he asked me where I was going to hunt work. I told him I was going back when we won. He laughed and said, wasn't much danger of any of us going back. We were beat. Mail trains all running, etc. I mostly blame the rise of the gig economy myself. <laughs> that that trooper really took the uh, <laughs> all the wind out of the train's sails, so to speak. It <laughs> yeah. ain't right, Brother John. To loaf longer and you can help it. I'm going out west tomorrow. And he went. Some weeks afterward, Joe Johnson and I concluded that, contrary to all precedent, the road was going to run without us, and we also went west. But by that time, the country was full of men just like us. White ones. <laughs> I thought there used to be more other kinds out west, but I guess they moved or something. Yeah, something. It just seems pretty empty something. now. Yeah. Hmm. wonder what that was. When I did get a job, it was drying sand away out at the front of one, on one of those new roads. Um, okay, so you have worked in the sand drying sector before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, and, okay, and when you say you have a lot of experience watching things dry out in the sun, was that in a managerial capacity, or...? <laughs> what would you say? Your five biggest strengths in watching things dry. <laughs> well, <laughs> I gotta be straight honest with you. Uh, I take watching things dry in the sun very seriously, and sometimes I'm too hard on myself <laughs> in pursuit of trying to get those things to dry. You're hired. The first engine that come up to the sand house had a familiar look, even with the bootleg stack that was fearfully and wonderfully made. There was a shaggy head sticking out of the side window, and two cool gray eyes blinked at me, but didn't seem to see me. Yet a cheery voice from out from under the beard said, 
Hello, Brother John. You're late, but guess you'll catch on pretty quick. The trick is to do it out on a sunny day. A lot of people don't understand that, and that's why they fail. <laughs> There's lots of them here that don't know nothing about railroading, as far as I can see. And they're running engines, too. Tain't right. The little town was booming, and Lige invested in lots, and became interested in many schemes to benefit the place and make money. Uh, benefit the place? I I don't think you call it that, then. Um, yeah, excuse me, sir. While you're checking out, would you like to donate $5 to the Make-A-Wish scheme? <laughs> okay, maybe just a dollar to the Susan G. Komen breast cancer machination? <laughs> Salvation Army conspiracy? March of Dimes stratagem? <laughs> now that's the one. Okay, give me something. <laughs> that's, that's the one that got me. He had been a widower for some years, and with one exception, his children were doing for themselves. You know, Kyle, he's still living at home, thinks he's going to make it as a YouTuber, and he's thinking of doing live toy unboxings at the same time he streams PUBG to appeal to multiple markets. I don't understand it myself. Yeah, neither. Neither do I. And that one was with his sister, and well cared for. Lige had considerable means, and he brought it all west. He personally laid the cornerstone of the courthouse, subscribed more than any other working man to the first church, and was treasurer of half the institutions in the village. Now please, I told you once, I gotta tell you again, please do not bring cupcakes with gluten or non-organic ingredients to the PTA bake sale. Taint right. <laughs> he ought to have quit the road. But he wouldn't, but did compromise on taking an easy run on a branch. Lige was behind a benevolent scheme to build a hospital, to be under the auspices of the church society, and to it devoted not a little time and energy. When the constitution and bylaws were drawn up, the more liberal of the trustees struck a snag in old Lige. He was bound that the hospital should not harbor people under the influence of liquor or fallen women. Oh, so one of those uh, non-humanitarian hospitals. I'm not sure what you call it. Um, a vet? Oh, makes sense. <laughs> Lige was very bitter against prostitution. It is the curse of civilization, he often said. Prostitutes ruin ten men where whiskey ruins one. They stand in the path of every young man in the country. Oh, yeah, that's how it works. When a young man turns 18, they put him in a room with a prostitute on one side and a selective service registrant on the other, and he makes a life choice. <laughs> Take the prostitute. The prostitute. Sorry, I got very excited. <laughs> Gilded tempters of virtue, honesty, and manhood. Taint right that they should be allowed in the country. If you attributed their existence to man's passions, inhumanity or cruelty, or woman's weakness, he checked you at once. Yes, well, I, I think it's clear you don't understand the complexities of the situation, just how deep the uranium one scandal goes into the deep state. <laughs> all the way down to the prostitutes, Alan? Yeah, all the way. <sighs> 
every woman that becomes a crooked woman does so from choice. She needn't to if she didn't want to. It's the exact same way I had the choice to keep working on the railroad or fighting the Civil War. See, I chose to have $300 so I could give it to another man to die on my behalf. It's all about choices. The way to stop prostitution is for every honest man and woman to refuse to have anything to do with them in any way or with those who do recognize them. It's exactly like how my hospital refuses to acknowledge the existence of syphilis and bam, none of our patients have syphilis. Well, perfectly logical. It all works out. Taint right. <laughs> Taint right. In this matter, Lige Clark had no sympathy nor charity. Taint right. And that settled it as far as he was concerned. The ladies of the church sided with old Lige in his stand on the hospital board, but the other two men wanted the doors of the institution to be open to all in need of medical attention or care, regardless of who they were or what caused their ailment. Oh, outrageous! <laughs> More pressure from the Don't Be a Fucking Shitheel committee. It's every week <laughs> with these people. God, talking about rights and... Ugh, it's horrible. Lige gave in on the whiskey, but stood out resolutely against the soiled doves, and so matters stood until midwinter. <laughs> okay, Rob. Uh, was Soiled Dove the sequel to Lonesome Dove, or or was it a spinoff? Um, I think it was actually the uh, Brazzers porn parody. <laughs> okay, I don't know what you're talking about, Rob. <laughs> Half the women of the town were outcasts from society. Two dance houses were in full blast, and Lige soon became known to them and their friends as the Prophet Elijah, second edition. Look at that. Yeah, you think you're clever saying 2.0 after some celebrity name. They, they were doing that shit back in the 19th century. Nice. You go, 19, 20, uh, 19th century, damn it. <laughs> the mining town over the hills at the end of Lige's branch was booming and wanted to be the county seat. It had its church, dance halls, etc. It had its coals, its sheets, its wing stop that moved into the old building the Pizza Hut used to be, but it <laughs> still has the same roof, so you could definitely still tell. And the discovery of coal within a few miles bid fair to make it a formidable rival. The boom called for more power, and I went over there to pull freight. And Lige pulled passengers only. I guess I'm just a people person, that's all. <laughs> Certain people. <laughs> then yeah. they put more coaches on his train and put my engine on to help him, thus saving a crew's wages. Passenger service increased steadily until a big snow slide in one of the gulches shut up the road. I'll never forget that slide. It happened on the 26th of January. Lige and I were double-heading on nine coaches of passengers, and when, on a heavy grade in Outer Gulch, a slide of snow started from far up the mountainside, swept over the track just ahead of us, carrying trees, telegraph poles, and the track with it. Uh, folks, the train's just gonna hold here a moment, just, uh, uh, just a small delay until the entire rail line gets rebuilt, and uh, then we'll be on our way. <laughs> We tried to stop, 
but Elijah's engine got into it and was carried sideways down some fifty or sixty feet. Mine contented herself with simply turning over without hurting myself or a foreman, much to my satisfaction. Oh, yeah, you know, I think I did pretty well on the test, to be honest. I mean, if they grade on the curve, then my train is still on the upper part of that curve. Do you see what? <laughs> well, just a little train humor for those involved in an avalanche. Lige fared worse. His reverse lever caught in his clothing. Oh, the first of many disasters that hammer pants caused in the world. <laughs> Pull your damn pants up. And before he could get loose, the engine had stopped on her side, with Lige's feet and legs under her. He was not badly hurt, except for the scalding water that poured upon him. Hmm. Burned by hot water during an avalanche. There is a word for that. I'm not sure what you call it. Uh, mm, karma. That's it. That's it. As soon as we could see him, the fireman and I got hold of him and forcibly pulled him out of the wreck. His limbs were awfully burned. Cooked would be nearer the word. Uh, assuming you never want to eat again, sure, let's go with cooked. <laughs> Smelled delicious, though. Passengers crowded around, but did little good. One look was enough for most of them. There were ten or twelve women in the cars. They came out slowly and stood timidly away from the hissing boilers, with one exception. This one came at once to the injured man, sat down in the snow, took his head in her lap, and taking a flask of liquor from her ulster pocket, gave poor lies some with a little snow. Like a human St. Bernard, I'm... Not sure what you call it. A bartender. That's it. I got the oil can and poured some oil over the burned parts to keep the air from them. As was medically prescribed at the time. Oh, well, there you go, Lies. I'm certain that'll help the burns and probably your arthritis, too. Just kind of loosen up the joints. If I know anything about engines, I mean, I mean the human body. We needed bandages, and I asked the ladies if they had anything we could use for the purpose. One young girl offered a handkerchief, and another a shawl. And one woman even offered her spanks, but he had bled out long before she was able to get them off. <laughs> it's a process, Alan. It's a process. But before they were accepted, the cool woman holding Elijah's head got up quickly, laying his head down tenderly on the snow, and without a word or attempt to get out of sight, pulled up her dress, and in a second, kicked out two white skirts and sat down again to cool Elijah's brow. Petticoat disjunction. <laughs> that woman attended Lides like a guardian angel until we got back to town late that afternoon. The hospital was not yet in shape. So Lige was taken to the rather dreary and homeless quarters of the hotel. Well, yes, sir. We've got you booked in the janitorial suite with a wonderful view of the door exiting the janitorial suite. I'll have the janitor bring up your bags so he can bring down a mop. 
As quick as it was known that Elijah Clark... It's not the best room, is what I'm <laughs> saying to you, sir. Do I, do I get access? Is there a minibar? Of course, sir. There's a miniature bar <laughs> of soap <laughs> in the bucket where the mop is. Oh, oh excellent, excellent. <laughs> as quick as it was known that Elijah Clark was hurt, he had plenty of friends male and female, who came to take care of him. Oh, sure, there was me, who uh, explicitly stated at the beginning that he didn't have friends, and there was, oh, what was the name of the kid he abandoned to his sister? I'm blanking on it. <laughs> but the woman who helped him live at the start came not. Yet every day there were dainty vines, wine, or books left at the house for him. How to avoid avalanches while driving a train. To my dear friend Elijah, sorry I forgot to give you this last week on your birthday, but for some reason I just thought of it. Signed, some name I made up, it's not important for the joke. <laughs> He's a very good friend of his. <laughs> very, very close friends. Pains were taken to let no one know from whom they came. One day a month after the accident, I sat beside Lige's bed when he told me that he was anticipating quite a discussion there that evening as the hospital committee was going to meet to decide on the rules of the institution. Everyone has to wash their hands on alternating Tuesdays and we only allow smoking in designated areas or when someone really needs to relax, like during surgery, and that applies to patients and doctors. <laughs> Wilcox and Gorman are set to open the house to those who have no part in our work and no sympathy with Christian institutions. And taint right, said he. Brother John, you can't do no good by prolonging the life of a brazen woman bent on vice. Now I refer you back to my previous sentence in which I mentioned both sympathy and Christ and failed in any way to apply them to the current sentence. <laughs> Don't you think, Lodge, said I, that you are a little hard on an unfortunate class of humanity who, in nine cases out of ten, are the victims of others' wrongdoing and stay in the mire because no hand is extended to help them out. Think of the women of Samaria. Or the parable of Roxanne of the Red Light. <laughs> it's sinners, not saints, that need saving. They are as a coiled serpent in the pathway of mankind, Brother John. Fascinating, but poisonous. Endlessly alluring with their colorful smooth skin and the possibility of them rubbing up against me right before they bite. But this is not about my suppressed sexual desire for snakes, which I project onto prostitutes, John. This is solely about my suppressed desire for prostitutes. <laughs> Clearly. There can be no good in one of those creatures. Oh, yes, there is, I'm sure, said I. Why, Lige, don't you know who the woman was that gave you brandy, held your head, and used her skirts for bandages when you were hurt? 
Well, I believe it was some kind of very friendly female Jedi that had taken human form. <laughs> Jedi? Is that the uh, that's a backwards pronunciation? Yes. <laughs> uh, you've never heard of the abominable snowman? I've heard of the Squatch, but uh, not the Jedi. Well, old Lige raised up on his elbow, all eagerness. No, John, I don't, but she weren't one of them. She was too thoughtful, too tender, too womanly. I've blessed her from that day to this, and though I don't know it, I think she has sent me all these wines and fruits. And the bear dressed in scrubs, holding a pillow that says, Get well soon. My, he is cute. She saved my life. Who is she? Do you know? Yes, she is Molly May, who keeps the largest dance house in Cascade City. Cascade City, home of the beautiful Febreze River and the gem of the entire Swiffer Valley. <laughs> yeah, you know, I feel like Swiffer Valley's been way too built up nowadays. The uh... Oh, you can't afford the home prices there. Are you kidding me? No, it's crazy. I looked for a place in Resolve a while back. It's oh. it's completely unaffordable. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I can't even get an apartment above the Formula 409 factory. <laughs> she makes lots of money, but spends it all in charity. There has never been a human being buried by the town since she has been there. Molly May is a ministering angel to the poor and sick, but a per bird of prey to those who wish to dissipate. Oh, oh, Molly. You made a first-class fool out of me, and I'm as blind as a fool can be. You stole my heart, but made me reconsider my ridiculous position. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you. It always makes me cry. <laughs> the hospital was opened on Easter. And the cafeteria served low-fat, low-sodium ham, which tasted suspiciously like very dry beet slices. Mm. And the first patient was a poor, consumptive girl, but lately an inmate of the red-light dance house. Lige Clark did not run again. He became mayor of the little city, had faith in its future, invested his money in land, and died rich some years ago. Uh, which presumably was not bequeathed to the woman whose husband he had run over with his train. Ooh, yeah, forgot about that. Or, you know, that kid that's with his sister. <laughs> what, what kid with his sister, Alan? Who knows? Lige must have changed his mind as he grew older, or at least abandoned the idea that to crush out a wrong, you should push it from all sides and thus compress and intensify it at the heart. Like a Coke can. <laughs> this guy's sheer poetry. And come to the conclusion that the right way is to get inside and push out, thus separating and dissolving it. Like a tapeworm. <laughs> For before me lies the 10th annual prospectus of a now-noted institution in one of the great cities of the continent, and on its title page, I read through the dimmed glasses of my spectacles, 
Industrial Home and Refuge for Fallen Women, founded by Elijah Clark, Mary E. May Matron. Oh, that's pretty sweet. What, a, a prospectus? Uh, yeah, would you like a brochure? Here's our wonderful campus, and here you can see the former prostitutes ecstatic over being called fallen and given the opportunity to work long hours for their room and board and have their likenesses used without permission in our brochure that advertises just how fallen they are. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Well, I, I got to say, Alan, I um, did not expect this train story to be about prostitutes. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, maybe you don't read enough about running trains, Rob. <clears throat> I mean, I, I know how integral prostitution is to the entire train industry. I just didn't expect it in this particular story. It, is, oh, okay. it seemed to really come out of left field. Hmm. But, um, you know, I, I wasn't, quite, wasn't quite sure what the moral of the story is uh, oh it's it's obvious rob okay uh hooker with a heart of gold that's pretty good hooker with an inheritance of gold that's pretty great nice yeah <laughs> well i i think it was a, a good story that that really got to the heart of the problem of fallen women and 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 what to do with them and what to do with them is to again like you said, use them as labor for as long as possible. Would you say that it got to the heart of the matter? Even if, even if you don't love me anymore? And then my thoughts seemed to scatter, but I, I think it's about forgiveness. Forgiveness. <laughs> and truly, it was about forgiveness. Well, I think that about uh, wraps it up for this week's episode. Uh, Hope everybody tunes in next time for another exciting interrupted. Okay, uh, I'm going to try a new one on you. Taint Fleek. Uh, Taint Bay. No. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hold on. I, I didn't think to, I didn't think of this before. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Uh, what's trending on Urban Dictionary? Yeah, here we go. There's a trending thing. Panty party? Master dating? <laughs> Ride? Bacon neck? Uh, funch? Funch is having sex at lunchtime. Oh, come on. <laughs> I hate that fucking thing. Okay. All right. Tail. <clears throat>